Hey everyone, I'm Simmer, a student at Harvard University. And I'm Roger, a student at King's College London. And, and this, this is That Medic, Medic Podcast. Podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Alamade Dada and Dr. Jado Keen, the founders of Medlin Medics, a nonprofit organization striving to promote diversity within medicine. We discussed the origin story behind Medlin Medics, the challenges of underrepresentation, and what steps you could be taking to get your voice heard. As always, I started the podcast by asking the question, why did you decide to study medicine? Um, I could give a bit of a brief summary of why medicine. And I would say medicine, especially because it's really a discipline that is looking at the impact of people's lives. I think fundamentally, when you catch the story of any incoming student, the first point of call that you say is to help people. But I think if we take a particular focus on why medicine, you actually have to look at why medicine now. And if there wasn't any more of a greater need for leadership, for navigation, for the improvement of systems, I could tell you for free that it is right now. If you look at the impact of COVID-19 and what it did to the whole economic landscape, not just with regards to medical schools and teaching and training, not even in regards to just the COVID-19 impacts or mental health inequalities, but really how poor leadership is, there is such a greater need for innovation and entrepreneurship. And I think that when you are a clinician, you have so much of a closer eye of what is wrong and what could be improved. So I would challenge people that if you are choosing medicine, don't put yourself in a box. Don't, you know, just follow like a traditional path but really explore how you could impact um, policy and healthcare systems in such a way that requires your expertise in whatever field you're enjoying. Yeah, and I'd say for me, um, one of the kind of main reasons I chose medicine um, was simply because I liked science at that time. I'd say, of course, my reasoning in terms of just pursuing a career in medicine has changed given my exposure. But I know that as a student, I wanted, I really like science. And I also thought that it would be nice to apply that science in, in the lives of people and in the care of people and to be able to, to make things better. Um, just through the knowledge that you gain. And and I think, just as Jade mentioned as well, that medicine now, there's so many possibilities. There's so many opportunities. There isn't kind of, we're trying to step away from, you know, the conveyor belt medic or the cookie cutter medic. Um, and, you know, there's that just opportunity to pursue areas of interest um, just further. And I think I really like that level of flexibility in medicine. So, you know, you, you guys are the founders of Mendel Medics. I'm just wondering if you could sort of explain to the listeners, you know, exactly what Mendel Medics is and how it already started. Yes. Yeah, so um, Melanin Medics is a registered UK charity. Um, we're focused on promoting diversity in medicine, widening aspirations and aiding career progression, particularly for African and Caribbeans in medicine. Um, at present, we're the largest intergenerational network of African and Caribbean, both current and future medics. Um, and I think that kind of generational impact and that long-term impact is very much at the center and at the core of what we do. Um, I started Melanin Medics in 2017 as a first year student um, towards the end of my first year. Uh, it, it was an interesting time. I think for me, when I first started medical school, I 
remember looking around the lecture theatre and just wondering, like, where are all the other black students? Um, and then throughout the course of the year, I always had the name, um, but I just didn't do anything with kind of the online platform that I had been working on. And it wasn't until I completed my first year of medical school that I actually just felt like, okay, I've, I've done a year now. I kind of feel that I'm going to stay in medicine and I deserve to be here. So now's a good time to, to pursue this area of opportunity. I think one of the main things that I wanted to do was to just show people that it was possible um, to pursue a career in medicine and also to, to provide insight and support for aspiring medics like me. Um, I don't have any doctors in my family, in my immediate family. Um, and I was really fortunate to meet my mentor, although I met her quite late into my medicine application journey. She's been so influential in my life and she still is today. Um, and I think Melanin Medic's beginning as an online platform simply was to serve that purpose of increasing representation in medicine, um, particularly of, of black people in medicine. But then as time progressed, you start to realize that actually the numbers is literally just the tip of the iceberg, um, that there are a number of challenges that result in there being such a lack of representation in medicine. Um, and that's why I felt there was a need for the or for the platform to evolve into an organization that's really targeting these problems and trying to put in place um, interventions and activities in order to just enable African and Caribbeans in medicine to thrive in their medicine careers um, and to feel supported too. Yeah, I think that's, you know, absolutely wonderful points that have been raised by Alamade. I think, again, to kind of contribute with regards to my story within Men and Medics organisation. So I joined um, more so as a founding member once this great need, which was a great idea, had to grow into an organisation. And so as a founding member, um, I was literally a medical student myself. And to give a bit more of a transparent story, my navigation to medicine was incredibly difficult. And the challenges that I faced was completely not because of my skill set. It wasn't because of my race at the time, but it had everything to do with my social capital. You know, I'm from East London, possibly one of the worst areas in East London. Whenever I say that to somebody, they hit it nail on head. <laughs> Literally what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go into full detail. It's an absolute... One thing I would say, though, it's an amazing city. But from an outside looking in, it is considered the worst, um, you know, area. And my experience firsthand of that is that when I was a little girl and I was, you know, in, 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 in secondary school, my career day, they didn't talk about, you know, what do you want to be? What support do you need? You know, GCSEs and all of that stuff. I literally got told mm. that I should consider rugby. Now, if you know me in person and you see my friends, that has no, it doesn't make any sense. And neither had I been in any sports team whatsoever. But that was a disregard which was facilitated in my particular environment. And just as I was leaving, I do apologise, Roger, if I'm going off tangent. But just as I was leaving that particular institution that I was in, based in East London, one of the first leaders that I saw who came in the school, you know, I was a student back then, but he was fighting 
And I didn't really realize what the need was because, again, I hadn't really been exposed to career development and my place in society or how I can be impactful as a leader or anything like that. But he was consistently fighting day in and day out to improve the school. And what he done was he took a low performing school and he turned it to what we call Brampton Manor Academy today. And I want to honor that man and call him Dr. Dyer Olakushi. And he opened up an immense door for leadership development to happen at an early age. So again, retailing back to my story, I didn't have that experience of leadership development. And so when I joined the organization, which was back in 2018 as a founding member, my main drive was how can this vision or how can whatever's being laid out actually be executed? And I took my experience, which couldn't be glamorized with regards to, you know, mentors or social capital, but really just being somebody who had a first-hand experience of what social economic barriers actually does to a student. And I made sure, especially as a head of partnerships and engagement, that this organization wasn't just going to be you know, any organization, but it had to be a pioneering one. It had to be a leading one and it had to be one that grew. And so I always have treated this organization, not just as an opportunity, but as a business from the very beginning, you know, being accountable for successful partnerships with educational institutions around the UK, in particular with the British Medical Association, that was my main vantage point. And in addition, with regards to making sure that we communicated what we needed to communicate at the right time, that was so important to me. And seeing the progression of what was a great idea that obviously has been um, laid out you know, when we started this organization and seeing that go from 10,000 to 40,000 views in a space of two years, you know, being a, a leading organization in the space of two years where most of us are student led. As I said, I know I, I, I can talk for myself, but I, I encourage that this wasn't just a one man's effort, but it was a team. It was because we didn't treat it as just an opportunity or a platform or just something to put on your CV. For me, it was a business. And that was really the, the distinctive factor for the, the story behind Men and Medics. And where we are at right now, there's so much more room to how we can navigate that space, but that's just a short summary. So, yes. So in terms of that sort of you know, clear mission there, how do you sort of continue with that sort of mission and realise that it's such an important sort of issue? Um, yeah, I think, you know, this is something that both of us could talk about. I think really to kind of communicate, um, you know, very clearly, our mission as an organisation is to promote diversity in medicine. It's to widen aspirations and it's to aid career progression through educational programmes, social empowerment and valuable resources. So we have the mission statement there, but then it's very much important to actually have a vision statement. So you have to articulate that from the very beginning because that's what you're then working towards. And sometimes what you're working towards might not necessarily have the same language as your current mission statement. It might not necessarily make sense to what your mission statement means, but it's mandatory in order for your idea or your organization to have longevity. So our vision statement as an organization is that we envision a future where diversity in medicine thrives and every person is able to fulfill their maximum potential irrespective of their race or social economic background. Now, as that as our overarching vision statement, that means that irrespective of whether we're focusing on aspiring medics today or doctors at this point or, you know, 
healthcare professionals, et cetera, because we're all going towards this common goal, there is longevity. And then in between that, from mission statement to vision statement, there actually needs to be strategy. And that strategy requires for there to be good project management, good leadership. These are skills that, you know, I'm sure Lamade can talk about herself because she was a fellow alumni. But for me, being an alumnus of the Healthcare Leadership Academy was possibly one of the only, you know, organizations. Yes, I went to medical school, but yeah, I have yeah. a degree, by the way. Yeah. But whilst I was there, I had never been exposed to project management, wow. yeah. never been exposed to leadership, never been exposed to delegation. Mm. And I'll tell you for free, when we learned those skills, it was practical. Because what happened as a result, we were able to formulate one of the pioneering projects within our organization that was able to amass over 20K in donations, one of them being BMA giving. And I can tell you just from my own experience, the skills that I learned, how to be a product manager, how to lead, how to strategize was really fundamental and really important. Perfect. So, of course, you know, you're, you're trying to, to go and really provide these opportunities out for, for medical students from all different backgrounds. Um, but, you know, what are the sort of challenges which, you know, these students tend to, to sort of face and how does Medimedics go about addressing it? Yeah, so um, when it comes to, to challenges, particularly for young people um, from socially disadvantaged backgrounds, I think a, a very big part of it is role modelling, the absence of role models that particularly look like them. Um, there's a quote that says you can't be what you cannot see. And that is it's, uh, uh, probably one of the kind of foundational reasons why um, for us being able to go into schools in um, different parts of, of the country um, is is really important because we want people to see, um, you know, doctors that look like them or medical students that look like them. And just by seeing, you know, they're able to envision themselves doing the same thing and it doesn't seem like it's unattainable. I think another issue that's really, really important is the issue of um, the, the support of teachers. And this is something that I can um, speak on based on my my personal experience. I remember when it came to me applying for medicine, um, we had AS levels at that time. And I told myself, if I perform well in my AS levels, I'm going to take that as a sign <laughs> that I should study medicine. Um, but when it came to my predicted grades now, my chemistry teacher didn't want to give me the predicted grade that I'd need for medicine. Um, and this was a huge blow to me because I didn't really have much confidence when it came to applying. Um, and I was really fortunate that my dad, my dad's a teacher and he kind of understands the education system quite well. And he knew that this is a decision that could be challenged. And so um, I was able to speak to the head of sixth form who only changed my grades on UCAS, but my chemistry teacher still didn't change my predicted grade um, like within the school records. Um, and ironically, I ended up getting the grade that she didn't want to predict to me um, in chemistry. And I think something like that makes you realize that actually what if I didn't fight for, for my grades to be changed? What, what if I didn't know that I could, you know, challenge a system in terms of my grades being changed? Like I wouldn't have been a medical student at the time that, that I wanted to be. Um, and I think it's quite scary just how much power teachers can have. And the fact that actually there are differences in the way that a black student is, is treated in school when it comes to future career aspirations and the way they're pushed and challenged, um, Academically, I, I think we have to just 
think about how those challenges can also affect an aspiring medic's journey. Um, I think, of course, social capital, as Jade mentioned, so actually being able to have access to mentors, to have access to people who have been through the system before you and are able to guide you along the way. Um, because role modeling is great, but sometimes it's only at arm's length. So it, it seems kind of out of your reach in terms of getting tangible advice and tangible ad- support. Um, but yes, yeah, so those are some of the challenges that I'd say aspiring medics face. I wish I could say that, um, you know, the challenges kind of stop once they get to medical school, but that isn't the case. We know that um, for black students, that even though the, the entry requirements for medicine are quite strict, um, there's an attainment gap where it's been found that students of ethnic minority backgrounds do not perform as well in undergraduate education, medical education, as opposed to um, white students. And also once they've graduated as well, so at the postgraduate level, um, it's been found that there's another, there's an ethnicity attainment gap there too. Um, you know, issues such as dif- um racism and harassment, issues such as uh, actually having mentorship further um, in your medicine journey and being able to have mentors who are guiding you and pushing you towards opportunities, that continues to be an issue along the way. Uh, The ethnicity pay gap is one of the other issues that exists where um, a black female doctor is likely to earn significantly less than a white male doctor. And these are are things that make you realize that actually there's such a need for long-term interventions. There's such a need for groups to advocate for for black um, medics because in the past, this hasn't really existed. And I think that's one of the the reasons why um, as an organization, we've been really, really kind of um, opportune to be in just really important spaces um, and part of really key conversations when it comes to advocating for this particular demographic. Um, I think it's, it's something that's been quite impactful on our journey too. I think those are amazing points as well. I think just to kind of touch upon that a bit more specifically, um, as an organisation, uh, Men and Medics, we want to specialise And in order for us to specialise in widening participation or social mobility, whatever tends to be the main issue or the barrier that we are trying to solve, we actually need to know our network. And so when we kind of communicate that as an organisation, we are the largest UK's intergenerational network. Um, For the first time, we're able to actually reach out to people before they get to you know the medical stage or even afterwards whatsoever it's really important that we've built in that system to actually understand what's going on and so to kind of give like a little bit of a of a of a description about that and how that looks like with the regular surveys that we do especially when you try to investigate for example I'm just giving one example particularly aspiring medics we ask important questions where did you go to school did you attend private school or state school? From our particular network, 83.3% attend state school. If you look at the statistics of state school applicants getting into medical school, it's, it's not very much high. And then when you look at the crisis that happened this year, which is you know the year of 2020 with regards to predicted grades and people who were able to get into medical school or not, at least for one period of time, being told they can't solely because of the school they went to, that's an issue. So school is one. And then as Alameda Alameda mentioned, the issue is multifaceted. 
It's a lack of school support. It's a lack of social mentorship. So we've done all of these questions and we couldn't find just one strong, pure answer because it's multifaceted for everybody. And what is the issue is that there's been so much work that's been done, but the outreach and its impact to where it needs to be taken place has not always been the case. But things are getting better because with the institutions that we do partner with, they recognize that. And the first question they often ask us, just as you asked, Rajar, is what are the barriers? Because sometimes they don't know. Sometimes, you know, a model that happened or a research paper that happened odd years ago, that's not enough. You need real-time data. You need a real connection with whoever you're working with. And that can be translated to any other organization. If you are working in med tech, whatever, you actually need to know firsthand how do these systems work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't understand that, it's like you, you know, Chinese yeah. once you get there and you realize mm. this is not what is appropriate. You know, if I want to give a very funny example, it's almost like, you know, when you say speak to the youth of today and people mm. think speaking to the youth means putting on a cap and, and jeans and saying yeah. we're <laughs> <laughs> And then another thing that I want to touch upon, because we have always focused on representation. Mm. And I think that is important. Yes, seeing people that look like you. But I'm going to be very honest. It's more than that. Mm. You need people there with you. You know, seeing a presentation online is not going to do anything for you. Seeing an inspirational talk is not going to do anything for you. What you need is a leader that's in your space. And as they grow they're making you grow as well. Now, they're not going to open doors for you. They're not going to make life easier for you. But if you are able to be attentive and you're able to read the room, you will pick up on wisdom in ways that's exponential. We don't have enough leaders in certain areas or certain, sorry, we don't have enough, yeah, we don't have enough leaders who are actively outreach or connecting to young people today to help that process. Um, but that is, that is that is another barrier that I would say I just want to touch upon. Well, I like how it's so practical as well, because I think, as you mentioned, there's so many different models out there that people try and use to, to try and see how the sort of inequalities out there and, and the issues that need to be addressed. But you have, you have to actually go there in person and see what's happening and see what is available, what is being you know, provided to really realise the issues. Um, now, I think you also addressed like one way that Medlimetics is really supporting the young students is through the sort of mentorship programme. Um, you know, what is mentorship and, and, and how does Melinda Medics, you know, ensure that these mentors are really providing actual advice to really support them through their journey? Yeah, I think I think with mentorship, uh, one of the main things is just having access to um, and having a relationship with somebody who's really invested in your journey, um, somebody who's really committed to, to supporting you um, in terms of where you're trying to go. Uh, and we, we've been fortunate to run uh, quite a few mentorship um, programs over the years for aspiring medics. Uh, and a lot of the volunteers come from our network. So that being black doctor, black medical students mentoring um, black aspiring medics. And I think one of the, the great things is just being able to, to see the the relationships that blossom out of mentorship um, and that go beyond, you know, the the application period of medicine, I'd say those are the most impactful kind of mentors because yes, you'll get some people that 
um, you encounter along your your career journey and they're only there for a duration of time and that's okay. Um, but I think that consistency, that um, intentionality and that just true support um, really makes a difference along the way. I'd say one thing that we're definitely um, doing more of now is actually continuing that mentorship journey. So um, we recently launched the enrichment program, which is part of a, a wider project called the Mind Us Project. Um, and that's supporting final year medical students as they transition um, to becoming doctors and really just pushing them um, to attain educational or academic um, success as well as um, just having that necessary well-being support that might be needed during this time. Um, and I think mentorship is always beneficial no matter what stage you're at in, in your journey. Um, but definitely trying to keep pushing that that mentorship, trying to keep pushing those relationships, even as people progress is, is really important. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Um, as, um, you know, Elamide mentioned, mentorship, I think, is primarily one of the things that we really wanted to share, you know, through information. And so, you know, as part of an organisation, being able to support over 3,000 students in the space of two years, in particular for a particular... <laughs> A particular um, mentorship program that was run, it facilitated a 90% success rate for UK um, medical applications, you know, in the UK through our mentorship program. And that, that was really amazing. Um, one thing that I would say to improve mentorship uh, is how you is how you approach it. Mentorship is a form of teaching. It's a form of learning. And in order for us to innovate, in order for us to make sure that we build programs that are really sustainable. It's about treating it as such and making sure that we have a clear teaching or development program framework that says here are the clear learning outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I am currently the enrichment program lead for um, Mona Medics organization. And it's one of our first, you know, structured mentorship programs that we are running. And as it's the first, it's ought to act as a template for others. Because we don't just want to create, you know, and this would be the case for, you know, the aspiring medics program that would follow. So what's meant to happen is that people that are enrolled onto these mentorship programs, there is a clear understanding of what the issue is. But then there is a clear learning outcome that comes out of every session. And if there is a way that we can personalize it, that would be really great. But one thing is to understand that mentorship is, you know, when we're living in such a technology driven way, where we have so many different systems, you can learn through so many different things and don't just rely on people, you know, look at, you know, experiences firsthand, look at, you know, podcasts, look at so many different ways that you can build that mentorship and you would be surprised at information that could be um, dispersed. And another advice I would give just for people who possibly are looking for mentors, um, I hope that this was a question that you touched upon, Raja, but whenever you're looking for a mentor, it's about approaching somebody who has the same context as you. So don't just look for people who look like you, but look for people who understand you. Those relationships that I've had have drastically changed my life as opposed to just limiting to who looks like me, if that sort of makes sense. And that's really, really important because, you know, when I entered the medical space, coming from East London, which I'm so proud of, I absolutely love it. You know, I, I came in with my blonde hair, 
with my long nails, (laughs) one guitar, lashes. And, you know, I want to change my hair every two weeks because that's just what I'm used to. (laughs) Not necessarily the dynamic in the spaces that I operate in. But when I found those great leaders who understood that, not just based on what I look like, but because they grew up in those areas, it wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. And they've been great teachers. So (laughs) look for people who, who, who understand you. Brilliant. So, you know, what's the sort of impact you've seen amongst the students who've gone through this sort of program? Um, so, I think one of the um, most rewarding impacts um, for me, so somebody as a, a medical student um, in my final year now, uh, is seeing as a new cohort of medical students come in. Sometimes I pick up on names um, and being able to see students who you've helped. Um, just just see them start medical school and really just thrive in, in their medicine journeys, um, even from such an early stage, I think is so rewarding. Uh, I remember a particular student as well. She struggled. She applied for medicine about two or three times. And um, when we met her, she kind of utilized all the the application support services that we offer um, and we had the opportunity to meet her in person too which of course now is, is a lot more challenging but um yeah <laughs> I, I recently came across her a few days ago on social media and she was finishing her second year of medical school and I was like wow, wow. <laughs> this is amazing and and she's like kind of um just becoming and she's really um, pursuing areas of interest and making her own impact as well I think it's it's really just rewarding to, to see that um, we help so many students sometimes it's really difficult to to see where they all end up or to keep track of them um, a lot later in their journey but the ones that you do encounter they're so grateful they're so you know they really appreciate having a, an organization that's that's been impactful in that way um and yeah so i'd say the the biggest the most rewarding impact for aspiring medics that we help um would be them getting into medical school and them just feeling a lot more empowered and a lot more confident um to pursue that areas of interest i'd say also because we we've been able to do quite a few educational um activities and events and um, um things for for medical students and for doctors and really been been able to provide insight into opportunities that people didn't think were attainable so one of the um, events that we did a few months ago was looking into career breaks and um kind of different decisions that that you can make even while practicing as a doctor and how you can pursue other areas of interest and the feedback was amazing people were so grateful because what you tend to realize is that for some individuals, they don't have, they're not privy to, you know, that information in terms of this is the best way to um, take a, a break in your training, um, et cetera. Whereas other people have those kind of networks and have that that social capital that they can leverage in that way to know that. Um, but just seeing how people take kind of key um you know, lessons and key um, pieces of advice from our information and apply it to their own journeys. I think that's really, really rewarding too. I think it's incredibly rewarding just to kind of give like a very um, quick relay to that. Um, You know, measuring impact is always going to be rewarding within any organisation that you start. And seeing that impact through the testimonials and through people that you meet, 
you know, like a personal friend that I had, he said, I got into medical school after two years because of, you know, using the information from your organization. That would, that beats any form of accolade. I don't care what anybody says. It beats any form of, of publicity when you actually see that you have helped somebody and that is enough for you. But it's very much important that, 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 that we, we saw that. And I think if anything, it's helped to keep us going because running an organization, it takes up time. Um, being a leader or you know, supervising, being a program lead, whatever the case, it takes up time. And sometimes the only thing that is worth the time being lost is seeing that you've made an impact. Um, and I think in addition to the impact that we've seen in students who do get involved with the men and medics community, um, one thing is that once you join, whether it's as somebody who's part of the leadership team, but more so importantly, somebody who's a beneficiary, is that you never leave because our vision statement looks at the end goal in mind. And that means that we don't just care about you as an aspiring medic, but we care about you as a medical student. And most importantly, we care about you as a leader within you know, your form of interest as a medical doctor. Those are the three stages that we're involved in. And so seeing the impact of whatever programs we try and you know, develop, it's about always understanding that goal and making sure that we hit the nail on the head with that. I love how you're really inspiring students and you know, sort of letting them understand that they can, they can achieve whatever they want to achieve. And I think Medellin Medics is doing a really brilliant job uh, in sort of educating them on the sort of opportunities out there. And that, that's, that's really brilliant. Um, but I suppose the real question is, you know, what can medical schools and, and I suppose, you know, different healthcare systems be doing to really promote diversity? Um, I think I'll start from what medical schools can be doing. I think that this year has really kind of made medical schools and other institutions and organisations realise just how um, medicine isn't exempt when it comes to inequality, when it comes to just a lack of diversity in medicine. Um, I think just because a lot of noise hasn't been made about it before doesn't mean that it, it hasn't been a problem and it hasn't continued to be a problem. I think one thing that medical schools really should start doing, and I've seen quite a number of them do, is really engaging students within that process um, of of really detailing what does change look like. Um, and I think what has lacked in times past is um, growth and measurable kind of change. I think when it comes to diversity in medicine, a lot of the outcomes are quite fluffy, I'd say. Um, they're not specific. They don't relate to how um, you know, you're going to relate to, to patients, how you're going to relate to colleagues, how, you know, you're going to, to be a part of the, the wider NHS or whatever institution that you work in. Um, I think it's really important to depict what does diversity in medicine look like when it comes to patient care? What does diversity in medicine look like when it comes to working with colleagues and things? And one of the other things that I always emphasize is, is the need for cultural competence and the need for to create um, a desire to understand what is what are the cultural practices of this particular individual and how does it relate to their care, um, rather than dismissing it, rather than shunning it. I think there needs to be that that deep interest um, and that promotion as well as for of advocacy. Um, and we're really privileged to to be able to run workshops in medical schools now. Uh, focused on allyship and advocacy in medicine uh, and really just 
outlining how does this relate to you in your role as a, a future doctor? How does this relate to you now in your role as a medical student? I think it's imperative to, to understand. Um, and I think for institutions as well, there needs to be more accountability, particularly in leadership. I always say that di- the, the lack of diversity in leadership in the NHS is uh, it's, 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 it's really bad. Um, particularly because the NHS is one of the most diverse institutions in the world. Over 40% of the workforce come from ethnic minority backgrounds. But then when you break it down to um, the number of doctors that are from ethnic minority backgrounds, that's significantly less. When you break it down to um, the number of ethnic minority individuals in leadership within the NHS, that's even less. And I say, as society has diversified, as we've witnessed, the NHS has lagged behind greatly in terms of representation amongst the senior leadership. And I think that that needs to be a priority. But in order for that to happen, um, honest conversations need to be had. Um, opportunities need to be created. And I think... Yeah, I'd, I'd say particularly leadership is a core kind of issue that, that needs to be resolved when it comes to promoting diversity within the NHS. Yeah, I, I would also break it down into two particular issues. So as a question stated, um, what could medical schools and healthcare systems be doing to promote diversity? Sometimes it's understanding that the issue could occur in medical school because you have to understand that within the medical schools that you are you know, facilitating, those are the future healthcare leaders of tomorrow. And so as you're being trained, you need to understand leadership because it's one thing to have a passion. It's another thing to actually be able to strategize and have a goal for it. And I think that, you know, as was mentioned at the start of this interview, there is such a greater room for so many innovative ideas that actually does incorporate diversity, whether people like it or not, because it requires the fact that the people who are leading change, one, they might not necessarily be old. They may be young. And medical students need to realise that. You can be a young individual and make such an impactful change and be recognised as a healthcare leader. So age is not going to be a factor. Race is not going to be a factor. Social, cultural elements is not going to be a factor. It's about having the best ideas. And so medical schools and healthcare systems need to sometimes be able to prioritise what the best ideas are. And I would say that there, there, there is a shift and there is a change that is happening because, for example, if we look at the Royal College of Surgeons of England, they're now facilitating a panel for an independent review into diversity and professional leadership. It has amazing people on it, such as, you know, Miss Samantha Tross, you know, who is the first black female orthopedic surgeon. You know, that, that is diversity at its best. But what they're actively doing is they're trying to find ways to improve leadership and not just in that particular aspect, but in different avenues. And sometimes the ways that people are doing this is through so much levels of innovation, which means that we're not just looking at the standard tick box or whatever, but we're actually looking at training and developing people irrespective of how old they are or how they look. But that's really important, I would say. So I've got two questions I want to ask, you know, what does effective leadership actually look like? Um, but also, how do students ensure they can get really get their you know their voice heard whilst in medical school? 
will touch on effective leadership. Um, I'm sure that, you know, Elamide will be able to touch on um, medical leadership within, within school. Um, as was mentioned beforehand, you know, this was an organisation that did start when both of us were primarily medical students. But again, okay, looking at effective leadership, effective leadership is, for me personally, is about understanding that you have to grow and it's mature in nature. Effective leadership means that as I am being a leader, I am strategically and I am purposely ensuring that other leaders are around me. Now, I'm not just talking about having a really fancy network that you publish on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about, sorry, I apologize. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about taking a picture. You know, I'm talking about whatever organization you start, whatever idea that you start, yeah. do you have leaders around mm. you? When you measure the growth of any organization, if you are solely measuring the growth of, you know, engagement and metrics alone, you have missed the nail. Yeah. You measure the growth of people that came into your organization and how they have left or where they are at two or three years down the line. If they have not grown, that is not on them. You have to take responsibility and accountability, but that is on you. The most effective leaders understand that whatever idea I want to put out there, it is bigger than me. And it requires sustainability where other people need to carry this vision as well. And so effective leadership is about teaching. It's about training. And to be honest, it's about transparency. Because in order for you to be an effective leader and to teach people, you need people in your space. You need people in your space. And that's why I mentioned earlier on that representation alone doesn't cut it. Because what I see on TV is not going to help me as a future leader. It's how I know you as a person and I know the personal challenges of whatever system, whatever you know thing that you are building. That is important. You need to be able to have that level of transparency. And to, in order to do that, it's about inviting people into the room to grow with you. You know, someone who, you know, I consider a mentor, he didn't necessarily have to, but, you know, he gave me space in his organisation not to have a fancy role or anything, but just to learn. And I appreciate that more than anything because that is effective leadership. And with your second question that you asked, um, as it relates to having your voice heard in the kind of medical space, I think you need to really kind of, understand initially what role will the medical school play or what role do you want the medical school to play so for example with melanin medics it was an initiative separate to medical school and people in my medical school didn't know about it for a, a very long while um, so I think it you need to be kind of clear on your strategy to begin with um, who does it require to be involved now we're in a much better position for us to work with institutions and for us to really kind of push for change in specific ways. But I think some of the mistakes that um, I've seen students make in the past is students can be quite passionate, but when it comes to um, strategy, uh, sometimes we're not, and time exactly, sometimes we're not 100% clear. And I always say before you kind of go to any meeting or any discussion yes you need to be flexible and yes and you need to be kind of receptive to what's discussed but you also need to go with a an idea of what you want change to look like and that enables um 
people to have a, a kind of clearer understanding of this is what we're working towards and this is why it needs to happen and this is what can be achieved and these are the ways that we can go about doing it. I think sometimes if, if you're waiting for your medical school to come on board with what you're doing, you might be waiting for a very long time, <laughs> a very long time. But I think at the end of the day, building relationships is central to, to promoting diversity in medicine. It's not something that can be done alone, but it requires a collective effort. But you also want people to be involved who are actually passionate about making that change or actually see the need for that change to be made. Um, so I think, like I, I began with, um, just determine what role you want the medical school to play and then be clear in articulating what, what you were kind of putting forward. Um Sometimes, you know, medical schools may not be able to kind of champion what you're doing to the level that you would want. That's That might be because of their capacity. That might be because they don't deem it to be a priority. Um, but don't be discouraged. I think there's always a, a way. There's always, um, yeah, there's always a way that you can go about promoting diversity in medicine outside of the medical school environment. Um yeah, I think those would be the main things that I'd say. You know, advice that I would give for that is you have to not think small and you have to not think that you are insignificant with regards to whatever idea you're putting out there. One thing I can say to you, whether for free or not, if you are fearful and you are living your leadership position as by fear, you're doing your idea by fear, it doesn't matter how well-versed you are, you will be limited. And if it's not limited by other people, it will definitely be limitation that you put on yourself. So as a medical student, you know, who, who wants to get their voice heard, you have to not be scared that your voice doesn't matter. Get that out of your head and do what you need to do. And you need to get that support within your own head first and not live off of the applause of others or what you look like on the outside. You have to get rid of the fear. And then another thing that I would say, um, a random example, because it possibly isn't in the context of medicine, but I remember watching this random interview by Richard Branson and he was talking about, you know, how he was just able to be like this avid entrepreneur. And he said, to be honest, like the fact that I started young actually worked in my favor because people are willing to believe in my madness and willing to believe in my vision. And I can say that for men and medics, even in, in our own experience, it's been leaders before us who believe in what we do, not because we're young, but they get the mission and the vision and they understand that it's a necessity, irrespective of what you look like or who you are. So get rid of the fear, get rid of the angst, and always focus on whatever the mission or the vision statement is. And if you find the people who are willing to help you, they won't care about what you look like on the outside. Uh, brilliant. So just wondering whether I could get your, your sort of view uh, on where you see the role of men in medics uh, over the next you know, 10, 20 years. Um, so as was mentioned um, you know, at the start of this particular talk, um, as an organisation, we are always growing. Um, in particular, our three strategic missions, at least for this particular year, is that we want to promote an inclusive environment for leadership development and training amongst BME medical students and professionals. 
we want to improve our outreach initiatives for young people who come from socially disadvantaged backgrounds or under-resourced educational institutions. And we want to facilitate career progression for BME medical students or professionals who come from socially disadvantaged backgrounds through practical and sustainable initiatives. So that's sort of our kickstart. So when we look at what that means in the, literally the space of you know 10 to 20 years, it means that we always want to be a pioneer in what we've started. We always want to be recognised as a leader or as an innovator for whatever the issue as is at hand with regards to promoting diversity in medicine and widening aspirations and aiding career progression through educational programmes, social empowerment and educational resources. And so what that means is that as much as we started off as a blog and then we started off as a team and a social enterprise and even as a grassroots initiative, even as a charitable organisation, we will always be a business of people that care about what we want to do and recognise that particular organisation. Yeah, and I'd, I'd uh, just say to go off the back of what Jade said, I think at the core of, of what we do and what I continue to see us doing is really just catering to the specific needs of African and Caribbean medics um, and aspiring medics too. I think, of course, as, as times change and seasons change, our work may take a, a, a different turn, but I think we will always be true to our mission. We'll always be true to those that we serve. Um, and I think... I'm I'm quite hopeful in that, you know, the the environment will will change, and we want to play a role in that too. We want to promote greater understanding of how we can support black doctors better, how we can support black medical students better. Um, and I think I want to I want to change. I would hope that through Melanin Medics, we're able to change. Um, you know, what you think of when you think of a black doctor. I think right now, um, when people think of a black doctor, they think Black Lives Matter, they think um, hardships, they think struggle. But I I, want, I would hope that in 10, 20 years down the line, that being a black doctor is one that is, is something that people can take pride in, that they don't have to be worried about, um, you know, racism, discrimination, differential attainment and disciplinary action I think I, I want them to, to really just feel that they can authentically be themselves and that they're, they're in spaces where they're enabled to do that of course I, I'd want melanin medics to have an international reach but again as always just being true to our mission mm. and being true to our vision um, and supporting people along the way perfect I think you've actually answered this question already um, but we always end the podcast by by asking um, the three pieces of advice um, which I think you really asked. But I was just wondering if you could give, say, three pieces of advice um, for students who are interested in trying to promote diversity whilst at medical school. One of my favourite quotes is, start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Um, there's always something that you can do. Um, I think, just as, as Jade said, don't allow fear to stop you. Uh, fear stopped me for 12 months. <laughs> to be honest, I, I've had the, the platform, I've had the domain yeah. for about 12 months in advance. It's expensive, I remember, <laughs> exactly. But I remember, I remember that, that first day when it came to the first article that was being released, I thought this is just my drop in the ocean. Mm. You know, this is just me trying to, to make a difference in one of the smallest of ways and seeing what the organization has grown to now. Um, it really shows that you don't need all the money in the world to begin. You don't 
you're going to be waiting for a long time if you think people are going to give you money <laughs> off the bat without using <laughs> results and showing impact. But I think um, really just start where you are, like where you are is okay. You're not too young. Um, it's not that you don't have enough experience. You can learn a lot along the way. <laughs> Use what you have. You have resources available to you. You have opportunities available for you to learn new things and do what you can. And yeah, so I'd say that, I don't know if that counts as one <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah. point. Um, but then the other thing that I would also say is passion is a very, very, very big big driving force and um, not every day is going to be pretty not every day is going to be like sunshine and the flowers and birds chirping and stuff there are going to be difficult times there are going to be times where you question whether you're making the right decisions whether you're doing the right thing um, but I think it's a passion that keeps that that has kept us going this far um, there's passionate people right at the core of, of what we do and I think that desire to impact no matter what happens even if all the things that we plan don't go the way that we want them to go. We can still try and impact people in another way. Um, and yes, I think my final point would be, oh, I'd probably say you, like your network is really important. The people that you have around you is really important. I know for me um, and also Jade, we, we're quite opposite. Um, but where I kind of my short for my shortcomings, you know, you have people around you that will compensate for that. Um, and you know, it's very difficult to do things by yourself and ensure a kind of maximum impact. But just make sure that you continue to to cultivate relationships and to really just invest in, in those around you and to appreciate those around you too. Um, the first thing I would say is to actually leverage your inexperience in your favor. So whatever you find as a shortcoming, utilize that and you would be surprised at where that could have measurable impact. To give a brief summary of that, whenever, you know, my particular remit within the organization is strategic partnerships. And I remember facilitating a conversation, you know, with 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 with, with, with an Oxbridge school. And considering my background, I was a bit like, am I the best person to be discussing this and be talking? You should be doing am I stepping some stones upon here? But guess what? I used that in my favor and I fought in that conversation because I said, you know what, if you want to understand what the challenges are, look at my story and look at how this has been embedded in our organizations. I don't know if Elamide has refer referenced it in her own nature, but she's the first in her family to go to university. Right? How incredible is that to be recognized as a leader within the medical profession? because that, that, that is unpredictable. But that unpredictability works in your favor because guess what, that is your level of experience and expertise. Um, the second thing I would say is we often facilitate a culture of putting yourself out there, you know, building a, a personal website, building a personal brand. That's great, but I don't care. The most important thing, <laughs> the most important thing is to put your idea out put your idea out there let me tell you something if you share an idea and people know that it's right for a blip for a second they don't care what you look like and they don't care your background 
put your idea out there. And if you are an innovator, if you are an entrepreneur, whatever space you are in, whatever conversation that you are in, don't be a bystander. Put your idea out there. That has greater leverage than putting so much ideas into building a personal brand. Because one thing that I live by is that you cannot build a personal brand and you cannot build an organization at the same time. If you do, one will suffer. Put If you want to build an organization, focus on that and let go of the, 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 the theatrics. The first thing that I would say is that you... <laughs> The first thing I would say is that you can only go so far as your team. So whatever idea that you build, whatever you know innovation that you have, yes, the key external stakeholders are important and they need to be a priority. But internally, make sure that your organization is growing with the people that are there with you and recognize the strengths of the people that are operating with you. As Alameda mentioned, me and her are both complete opposites. But that works well because Vera Lamade is, is, you know, Lamade is very much particularly focused on details. She's very much focused on the well-being of people. She's very pastoral. She's very nice. She's very epic. And you need that in an organization. And for me, I'm the type of person where I'm okay being hated yeah. for a month. I will try and buy you food afterwards. <laughs> but you need those two yeah. dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're finding somebody who can build your business with you or finding a team, look for people who, who compliment you. So that, that's, the, that's the last thing that I would say. Um, guys, it's been a real pleasure having the show. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you very much for the kind invite. It's much appreciated. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with all the links in the description below. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care.